We're in part three of a series, Letters to Leaders. Today we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, I must warn you, we may hop around a little bit and check out some other areas of the Word, but this is really going to drive where I think the Lord would have us go today. And we launched this series challenging the idea of believers gathering and watching ministry happen, right? Like we just went full out assault on the idea that Christianity is centered on sitting and watching and hearing, right? And we settled in and we concluded that every believer carries the weight of leading others to Jesus. And that we saw in the word that every believer is empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring about change. And it's not just small changes, but eternal changes, lasting changes, forever changes. That's what we launched this series saying. Last week, Pastor Steve delivered a spot-on message about how our studies and our understanding of God should be grounded in the Bible and not in minor opinions or um, self-serving agendas. See, the Bible is our greatest authority Right? We, we know that it can be trusted because it is God-breathed. That word, God-breathed, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but it means inspired. It means God uses ordinary men, yes, but these ordinary men weren't telling us about their opinions. No, God gave them the words to write to his people. God is the author of the word. Right? And so you don't get to develop your own truth because the creator of the universe has already told you what is true. So today we, we come here knowing these things, right? We know that, that, that God called all of us to lead in different ways and in different areas of our lives. We know that God offered a foundation for strong leadership by revealing himself to us in his word and today we're going to discuss the importance of godly men and women pursuing godly character that is ultimately shaped by God's word. And can you just feel the weight of that with me for a second? Like we just told you about Crossroads Cares touch cards, right? Like this entire ministry effort is dependent upon this body of believers mobilizing and making it a point to talk to others and show concern for others outside these walls. Like, I, folks, I better not catch you outside Walmart passing these out like Girl Scout cookies. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's not the vision here. That's not the plan. Like, yes, we want the word to get out, but we want you to meet people. Know their names. Tell them you're tasked with changing the way the world sees the church. And then hand them a card and tell them you care. Tell them God loves them. Right? Like, listen to me, every person that you hand a care, a care card to, you're leading them. You're leading them. And we, and we can't just go and lead and not be aware of how we live our own lives. You with me? Right? Like, our conduct, our ethics, our habits, our desires, it's all a reflection of the relationship that we have with God. All right? If you want to change the way the world sees the church then ultimately you need to change the way the world sees you. That's where we land with this. But listen to me, you won't get there on willpower. The only way to get there is by word power. You like that? I was proud of that. But seriously, you can't. You can't just bull rush your way to godly character. You need to read your way there. You need to be with God in the word. Simply put, God's word reshapes us so we can reshape the world. 
Now, let's come back down to earth here for a moment because like, that's the vision, right? But the truth is, personal development, professional development, character development, human development, any kind of development, really, in any kind of area of life, it's hard work, right? It's time-consuming. It's inconvenient. It's messy. Just ask any parent ever, right? Are you with me? Like, the process of development is complex and often uncomfortable and even awkward. And if you disagree with me, then you've just volunteered to chaperone middle school summer camp, right? <laughs> you're, you're signed up, right? Five minutes in the car, and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's just weird, right? It's just awkward. Looking back over my life, uh, so much of who I am today and how I lead has to do with how I was raised. See, growing up, uh, I had some issues with authority, okay? That may come as a shock to some of you, um, but I did. I, I was the youngest of three, and so I had the luxury of watching my sisters um, get it wrong, right, over and over and over again. And they may debate that, but we know what's true, right? Right, but instead of learning from their mistakes, right, and taking the path of least resistance, which would have been the smart thing to do on my part, right, I often chose the hard way myself. Right, so, so mom's in the kitchen, she's cooking, and I'm sitting on the counter being a good little helper, right? My mom says, you know, I'm going to go grab something. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. See, most kids hear that, and they're like, ooh, I don't, yeah, I don't want to touch that. That's a, they tuck their hands away and obey. But this guy, this guy, he says, well, let's just go ahead and confirm that what mom says is accurate. <laughs> Both hands, two hands, flat down on a red-hot stove. No joke. That's me. My dad taught me about work ethic. Can I just say, you don't outwork a Wyatt? Like, let's go, you know? <laughs> Try. It's just not going to happen. Like, he didn't, and he didn't sit me down and be like, hey, son, I found this really good book at the library. It talks about hard work. I thought we could read it together. Like, no, <laughs> he introduced me to hard work at a very early age. 6 a.m. on Saturday morning, son, come downstairs, get some breakfast. It's time to mow the lawn. Oh, yeah, we need to remulch, too. And when you're done doing that, let's go do that lawn over there. But, Dad, that's our neighbor's lawn. Yeah, it'll be good for you. It wasn't that bad, but even if it was, look how I turned out. Just kidding. Just kidding. I did try to sabotage on occasion, though. Uh, one time, I put a bunch of sticks in the gas can so that we couldn't fill up the mower. Yeah, got the rod for that one. <laughs> I mean, never, I mean, never was I out there dodging hornets and dripping sweat saying to myself, Lord, thank you for my old man. Thank you for his life and his love. I, 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 he clearly cares about the man I become. I thank you for sending him to me to love me and to guide me. I give you praise for his presence in my life. No! No, I was murmuring. Who is this man think he is? Because you see, developing godliness, maturing in Christ, growing in a godly character that brings glory to God throughout your life, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows all the time. Right? There's... There's going to be some early mornings. There's going to be some burns. Right? Like, folks, mom says, don't touch that. It's hot. She's not trying to take anything from me. She's trying to keep me from harm. 
So you got to ask, what does it look like when God does that for his children? Like my, my dad waking me up to mow the neighborhood, right, to develop me as a man. How does, how does God do that? How does, how does God push me? How does God press on me in that way? The truth is, God's word gives us so much more than just right belief. It also directs our habits and our actions. So let's look at this together. Follow along with me. Paul says, you, speaking to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So Timothy, Timothy was like a son to Paul. For my Star Wars nerds out there, my fellow Star Wars nerds, Timothy is to Paul as Anakin is to Obi-Wan. Obvious difference is that Timothy wouldn't go on to create an evil empire that sought to destroy planets and rule the galaxy, but you get my point. Paul drops nine characteristics of a godly leader in this letter to Timothy. Nine. Now, Paul doesn't focus on leadership because he doesn't believe and trust in Timothy to lead. It's likely that Paul is writing this. He's repeating himself because he's in prison, and he knows that this could be his last communication to Timothy. See, Paul trusted Timothy to minister faithfully in Corinth, and he trusts him to continue to ministry faithfully in Ephesus. And, and though Paul had complete confidence in Timothy, he knew that like all of us, Timothy wouldn't be immune to hard times. But Paul, he knew that with his encouragement and with Timothy's steadfastness, with his dependence on the Lord, that Timothy would pull out of this hard time and reignite his passion for the ministry. Here's something to write down if you're taking notes. Because Paul makes it clear. He makes it clear that once you start you never stop developing godly character. You never outgrow the need for the word of God to press on you. Like you never outgrow the need for God to reveal himself to you in his word. In verse 11, Paul reminds Timothy about his sufferings for Christ and how Christ has rescued him over and over and over again. See, Paul's referring to what he told the Corinthians 10 years earlier. I want to read it to you. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. <laughs> I love that. He admits it. He's like, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You're not supposed to live to tell about that. And he is, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. 
on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold, and exposed. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? and I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. There's a stat sheet. Honestly, I wasn't going to read that to you, but I'm glad I did. And can I just say, like, Christians need to stop complaining. Like, I'm, I'm sick of it. It's exhausting. Like, Christians need to stop claiming, American Christians need to stop claiming persecution. Like, most Christians have no idea what persecution actually is. In fact, most Christians, if faced with persecution, would turn from the faith, dethrone God, and live for themselves. I, I need you to see this from Paul. Paul is in prison, and yet he is rescued? Is he nuts? truth is two truths can exist at once in this case paul boasts of rescue while rotting away in a concrete box right paul is saying timothy if you follow my example in pursuing godliness you will suffer but you'll be fine because though i rot christ rescues i love that look at verse 12 he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus gave a similar promise. Do you remember what he said? John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Jesus is like, look, check it out. If they hate you, it means you're not like them, which means you're really my disciple. Find assurance in their hatred towards you. That's so good. He goes on, he says, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. I say this with a broken heart but the truth is Christians that are uninterested in growing godly character will avoid persecution like folks Satan has little concern for those uninterested in living godly lives like Satan isn't opposed to you being on the throne in fact that's the end game <laughs> he's after that see but a faithful believer should expect persecution and suffering it doesn't mean that your story's going to sound like Paul's or Timothy's. That's horrible, right? But it does mean that you will face opposition from the world. Paul says persecution of the godly will continue until the Lord returns. And can I just say, as it pertains to Crossroads Cares, it's likely you may experience more, not less. If you engage in the ministry of reconciliation, you're going to see more pressure against you, not less. Look at verse 13. 
Paul warns Timothy not to run from godliness in order to escape suffering and persecution. He says, just don't take the easy way out. It's just not worth it. Look, he says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but not you, Timothy. Don't turn away, no matter how bad things look. It's, it's better to be persecuted for the truth than to be condemned for a lie. Don't take the easy way. Let's keep going. Look at verse 14. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I got to be honest with you guys. Can I, can I just open up my life a little bit here? Um, it just, I ask that because I don't want you to be shocked or anything. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner saved by grace, right? Like there's no promotion that I received in the kingdom of God just because I received a promotion here. You with me? Nope. Just still sinner saved by grace. That's me. I try to be uh, the best dad that I can be. I really do. I, guys, I really do. I want to raise my children well. I want them to be good people. More than that, I, I want them to be godly people. I want them to love Jesus and know him and walk with him. I want them to love and exalt God and his word. I want them, I want my kids to know the difference between someone who gets a verse of the day notification and someone who is hungry and thirsty to be shaped by God's word into the image of Christ. I want them to know the difference. And I gotta confess, as much as I want that, my actions don't always align. I mean, come on, it's, it's, it's easy to get out of balance in this life, isn't it? I'm, there's no way I'm alone in that, right? You guys, anybody else have life balance problems? Okay, all right. I, I, I do. Sometimes I push too hard at work and my family pays the price, right? Or I'll lean into family too much and those outside my family who need me will suffer. Sometimes I focus so much on my wife that I forget there's two other souls that I'm living with that I'm responsible for that need me, right? Sometimes I lean too heavily into enjoying my children and I forget that it's my job to raise them. Like, I'm in that space. I'm toggling that all the time. Anyways, one night last week, Nolan had just given me a kiss goodnight. It was just, it was a guy's night. It was just me and him. And he went off to bed and I felt this overwhelming burden just hit me like it wasn't audible but it was as clear as day Josh when was the last time you read God's word with your son boom like oh well I don't know <laughs> random voice <laughs> it was like there was just mini me inside of me preaching at me and I didn't like it it's like get out of here He's like, you seem to find time to play Fortnite with him. Josh, you seem to find plenty of time to get to the gym. Like, Josh, when was the last time you opened it with your son so he can see God reveal himself? When? So I yelled for my son to come here. <laughs> he came in the room, and, and I just said, Nolan, I need, to, I need you to forgive me. I've failed to make this a priority for us recently, and I'm committing right now to doing better. And so we, we came up with a reading plan. We're, we're, we're going to do eight to ten verses daily before bed. 
okay? Starting small, simple, right? We're not going to read a whole book. That'll last a day, right? And it was so great, guys. I, I just, oh my gosh, he asked so many questions. In fact, before we went back, he, before he went back into bed, he, he looked at me, he said, Daddy, can we read more than just 10 verses? And I was just so thankful to God. I was like, thank you, Lord. Like, God's word, listen to me, God's word in four verses awakened a hunger and a thirst in my son for more of Jesus. Four verses. Like, I'm sorry, folks, but Dr. Seuss doesn't stand a chance against the living word. No chance. And can I ask you, how are your priorities? Do you need to make some some time, some adjustments like I did? Make them. Folks, because if we're going to raise up godly men and women who will defend the faith, we need more families with strong convictions and spiritual foundations built on God's word. Like parents, listen to me. God's word reshapes your child so they can reshape the world. Grandparents, listen to me. You're not out. God's word reshapes your grandchildren so they can reshape the world. Husbands, God's word reshapes your wives so they can reshape the world. Wives, God's word reshapes your husband so they can reshape the world. We have work to do, and God's word directs and builds and encourages. We need to be in it. Grab a Bible and reprioritize. I don't know what's happened, but somehow American Christianity has dumbed the word down to just another library book. And as great as it is to have a mobile app, trust me, nobody loves the mobile app more than me, but it's not a mobile app. It's not just a book. Listen to me, the reason that we know anything about God at all is because it's been revealed to us in his word. Let me try to put it this way. As I was looking over Timothy this week, it hit me. Timothy didn't come to faith because of a carefully crafted sermon. He came to faith because his mother and his grandmother taught him the word when he was a young child. In fact, it was those scriptures that he became aware of his need for Jesus and salvation and ultimately becomes a follower of Christ. Parents, grandparents, listen up. Two things your child or grandchild needs from you. Two things, that's it. They need to hear your convictions clearly taught and they need to see your convictions consistently lived. Don't have children or grandchildren? Guess what? Your wife needs to see that. Your husband needs to see that. I I really hope you're tracking with me here today. You remember week one of the series? I I told you about a call on our hearts as your pastors and elders to get outside the walls of this church, and we're going to. But the discipleship process cannot be boiled down to simply serving the needs of others. There is ministry that needs to happen within these walls that is equally important. It's both and, not either or. Look at this. Verse 5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Wow. I want to be that kind of church that develops parents and grandparents that are like that. Because it's the parents and the grandparents that build next-gen Timothys, right? The kind of young men and women that stand firm in God's word no matter what. Like, I'm convicted that we have lost ground here, folks. I'm convicted that we've lost our way. Parents, grandparents, are you in the word 
with those God has put in your life to lead. Are you? We want our children to be in the Word. We want our youth to stay in the Word, to continue in it, like Paul wants Timothy to continue in what he knows. We want that for our children and for our youth. This text teaches us that to create that type of commitment, to create that kind of faith, you need men and women of God paving the way. Let's keep going. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, I want to point out a couple things here about this verse. First, that phrase training in righteousness, can we just talk about that for a second? Um, how many of you have a gym membership? Can we see some hands here? Cool. Awesome. We've got some gym goers here. Um, let's just, okay, let's just break this thing out. Um, there is a difference between working out and training. With me? Right? Like, for the most part, I work out. That's, that's me. But the other day, I dipped my toe into training. And it was probably a mistake. But let me tell you about it. So working out is the daily grind of, like, bicep curls, bench press, right? Squat, curl, squat, curl. Over and over and over again, right? It's mindless, and, and it's routine. It's just repetition and commitment, right? Training, totally different. In fact, we have some brothers and sisters in this church that have been professional athletes. They'll tell you, it's just different. The other day, I tried to rope climb for the first time in my life. I think it was 20 feet. I don't know how high the ceiling is. It was the same, kind of like same thing as this. I think that's 20 feet. Uh, not sure, it doesn't matter. But I did it on the first try. And I was so proud of myself. I was like, oh, yeah. But the trainer, right, was showing me, put your hand here, do this, you know, this is how you grip the rope, and this is how you put your feet, and this is how you swing your other foot and clamp and pull up. See, training is more than building strength. It's learning to use the strength that you've built to accomplish feats. See, what the Bible does for a believer in Christ is it trains us in righteousness, it doesn't just dip us in. It doesn't just work us out. It shows us how to use our newfound strength to accomplish kingdom feats. Right, so let me ask you. Are you training? Or are you working out? You just hitting the gym once a week. Second, I want to point out those two words. I told you I'd, I'd, I'd talk about them for a moment. Breathed out. Some say that a better translation would be inspired, and that all Scripture is inspired by God. And I, I, look, I get it. That might be a great translation. I just think we use the word inspired too much in a weird way, like in an artistic way. Because the use of inspired here would assume that men had authorship, that they were involved in that authorship, but they did not. They had penmanship, not authorship. Right, so I, don't, I just don't think that works. But anyways, let me just explain what Paul is saying. He's saying all Scripture is from God and about God. Right, from Genesis to Revelation, God is revealing his truth, his character, his attributes, his love, his divine plan for reconciliation. All Scripture is God-given and human-written. Right, meaning it's an authentic message from heaven given to men on earth so that we might know the grace of God. God's word reshapes us so we can reshape the world. I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, 
goal setting lately? You guys have goals? Anybody have goals? I'm just curious. Okay, you got some goals set out before you. That's awesome. Um, I have different goals. I have fitness goals. I have uh, ministry goals. In fact, um, everyone who's employed here at the church has a a goal in ministry. Um, It's beautiful. Goals are great, right? They create accountability. They keep you focused and trained. Train your eyes on what you're trying to do. But all this goal setting got me thinking. What's the greatest goal a Christian can have? What's the greatest goal a Christian can have? Like if you're shooting for the stars, you're like, I'm gonna, yes, right? What's that look like? You wanna know what I came up with? No? Just making sure you guys are awake. Here's what I came up with. The greatest goal, the greatest goal a Christian can pursue is conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing that you can go after. It's, it's beautiful. Look at what Paul says in the book of Romans. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now look, there's a lot there, right? Another sermon for another time, maybe another series for another time, but let me tell you this. God is establishing and developing a kingdom of holy citizens. Every true believer is on a journey towards Christ-likeness. And God says that he will be faithful to complete this work in you, the work of salvation. But even now, today, right here, in this very moment, in this very place, Paul says this about believers. He says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, godly character is the greatest pursuit you can have. Christ-likeness is what you should be after. My greatest need is to be more like Jesus Christ and less like Josh Wyatt at all costs. Hear me out. We just launched Crossroads Cares, but it's just talk if you don't sign up to meet a need before you leave this place. Like, it's just talk. Because the world will not change through fancy programs and strong slogans. The world is changed through godly men and godly women pursuing a life that reflects that of Jesus Christ. That's how the world changes. Crossroads Cares can't change the world. What changes the world is a person with a desire set on one thing, and that is the desire to be like Jesus Christ, to walk like him, to talk like him, to lead like him, and to care like him. We set a goal today that we want 100 of you to sign up to meet a need, and I'm fighting the excitement to to go check, see how we did, right? (laughs) And shouldn't I tune into my own sermons if I go back there and feel pride because we accomplished our goal today? But let me ask you something. What does our goal even matter if out of those 100, only a handful of you have an actual desire to be like Jesus? What does it even matter? So ask yourself, what do you want more than anything? What do you want? What do you really want for yourself? I had to fight with this this week. I had to. Now it's your turn. I'll tell you what I want. I want to be like Jesus more than I want anything. I want to be like him. I love what Paul says to Timothy here. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. I love that. Train yourself to be godly. I said earlier that God is raising up and establishing a kingdom. 
a kingdom that will only be available to those who believe in the name of Jesus and trust in him for salvation. See, Jesus came so that we could call that kingdom home. But while he was here, he gave us insight. He gave us glimpse into what that kingdom would look like. He gave us a way to see the contrast between this world and his world. So how about we do a little godly training, as Paul recommends? And who better to lead us in a godly training session than the God-man himself? See, most men and women would say that the pinnacle of life is finding happiness. The Bible says that the pinnacle of life is finding Jesus. Jesus says you can be happy too, though. It just looks different. See, the kingdom of man says happy are the wealthy and the confident, for theirs is the kingdom. See, in this kingdom, true happiness is found in our ability to meet our own needs. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm. See, being poor in spirit reflects the attitude we should have towards our sin. The, The true mark of a Christian isn't sinless perfection, it's brokenness over our sin. Blessed are those that recognize that not what they can do for themselves, but what he has done for them. Our culture says happy are the hungry, and Jesus says happy are the humble. The kingdom says happy are those with strong self-esteem and positive thinking. Jesus says blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Listen to me, you aren't blessed because you mourn. You're blessed because God comforts those who mourn godly things. Right? So as you align yourself with God's word, what breaks his heart will break yours. Our culture celebrates godlessness and self-crowning. Jesus, he celebrates those that agonize over their sin because agony over sin leads to repentance and repentance leads to salvation. But the kingdom of man says, happy are those that will stop at nothing to get what they want. Happy are those that claw and climb their way to places of power and influence and use that power and influence for personal gain when it all costs. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus sets the example for his meekness in this, that while being fully man and fully God, did not use his earthly power or influence for personal gain. Folks, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power completely surrendered to God's will. The kingdom of man says, happy are those that find complete satisfaction in the things of this world. But Jesus says, blessed are those who hungry, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, those who hunger for righteousness don't ask for Christ plus a happy marriage or Christ plus a successful career or Christ plus popularity or notoriety. No, the spiritually hungry and thirsty just want God. They just want Jesus. So do you want satisfaction in Christ, in Christ alone? Or is Christ plus this, is that a battle for you? Another way to look at this is blessed are those that see the eternal over the temporal. 
right? Blessed are the outcasts, the aliens, the visitors, the foreigners. Blessed are those that realize this is only a temporary home. See, the kingdom of man says happy are those who demand the best from others and distribute awards based on performance. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Right? Happy are those who recognize their own need for mercy and then are led to show mercy to others. <laughs> but it's even bigger than that. If you think about it, God in his faithfulness shows us mercy through Christ, through saving us through Christ. In obedience, we are merciful to others. And in turn, God continues to be faithful, showering us with even greater mercy and grace. I need to tell you that if you're unwilling to offer mercy freely, then it's quite possible you've never received it. I'm not even going to try to teach this next beatitude. I know better than that. Maybe I'll understand it one day and I'll teach it, but I'm just not sure I can wrap my head around this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. <laughs> what? I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know where to put that. It's massively beyond my understanding that God would allow a way for me to see him, to know him. What? It's beautiful, but maybe that's the point, right? Maybe the point's not understanding here. Maybe the point is awe. Maybe we're just supposed to be in awe of that, that he would do that. The kingdom of man says, happy are those that create division and hatred in service to their agenda. But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Folks, the best way I've heard this taught is that children of God are incredible bridge builders, right? Building bridges, connecting others to God. They don't shy away from conflict any more than they seek it out. They simply look to speak God's restorative grace any, at any chance they have. The kingdom of man says happy are those that make self-preservation their highest priority. You do you. Because after all, if you don't look out for number one, who will? Jesus says blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Self-preservation speaks to a lack of faith in Christ and a dependence on self that is the result of a life untouched by the gospel. I need to ask you, what are you conforming to? Can you honestly say it's Christ? Or is it something else? God has revealed himself to you in the word. Open it, read it, pray over it. Mourn over it, cry over it, teach your kids to walk in it and know it, fight for truth, defend truth, and share truth. After all, folks, God's word reshapes us so we can reshape the world. We're going to step into our time of communion, and we do this every week. Um, and we do it every week because we we believe that it's important, but what we don't want to do is allow this moment to become routine, uh, to become something you just do. I mean, none of our disciplines should be something we just do. We should be in awe. And so today, we're going to do it a little different. So I want you to go ahead and grab your items. 
prepare those, uh, settle into that. And before the, the band comes out and leads us in worship, before we head in that direction, I want to read a psalm to you this morning as you're just preparing your hearts to be in this intimate space with your Heavenly Father. I'm going to read it to you. And then you're going to take the communion. And then I want us to read it together. And then we're going to worship. So let's do that together. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And then I will go to the altar of God to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil without me, within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I want you to go ahead and take your communion. And when you're done, I'd like you to stand and read this with me. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. Amen.